did we forget I didn't to say Patreon? Patreon. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina from TBR Etc. And I'm Renee from It's Book Talk. This is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. Today, we are talking about characters we love to hate. We'll share something that we've been loving lately, review our latest read, and have book talk about characters we love to hate, those who are evil or just plain unlikable. We'll wrap things up with our shelf edition. We're a new podcast, so if you like what you hear, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you have a quick minute, please consider leaving us a review. It helps us find our perfect listening audience. Hey, Renee. Hey, Tina. How are you? Good. I didn't know if you were popping in there with anything. No, that's it. All right. Well, well how are you? We're, I am good. I was just saying before we began that I was prepped and ready last night. So I was feeling very proud of myself. I'm feeling like, all right, I, I know what I want to say. This was a very fun episode to try and pick books for, for me. I was like, all right, Mm -hmm. who did I hate? Why did I hate them? Like, it was just like a kind of fun thought process. Like, what makes a dislikable character? Right. I had the same experience. And some are evil. I mean, what I figured out some of my own reading tastes just by trying to narrow down, why do I not like these people? Mm -hmm. And do I, do I hate them? Are they bad? Or are they just evil? Or, I mean, yeah, they're serial killer. I can't not bring a serial killer book. Right, right. <laughs> so that's a given. But what about the others that just are just not quite the best people? Mm-hmm. That was kind of fun. It was fun. And sometimes it's not super clear. I find myself, I'm very able to see gray areas as a person. So when I'm reading, sometimes I'm like, why am I liking this person? Like they're doing these absolutely despicable uh-huh. things, but like, I'm kind of interested. I'm I'm paying attention for sure. Like, why am I so, sometimes I laugh. I'm like so delighted by how evil they are. <laughs> like this is, but that's part of the fun. Yes, I know. And I want to for sure ask you some specific questions okay. about reading these types of books. So don't let me forget as far as what's the big difference between these types of characters and just a happy, happy book. Mm-hmm. For me, I don't think I read that many. Happy books? Happy, happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everybody's happy. Everybody's so nice. I really don't read that. Yeah. I don't think if you've listened to us for any period yeah. of time, you probably know that we don't tend to read happy books, but we can talk about this later yes. during book talk. What is your loving lately? Okay. My loving lately is something that I do think our editor, John, is going to enjoy. Okay, tell me. And it might be on his Christmas list or something. Who knows? It's called Life Around Two Angels, and they are handcrafted bath bombs. Got it. Okay. I was I was like, huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the name threw me, but bath bombs, yes, absolutely. Yes. You would not know what they were by that name. This is a a small company. I really, I was trying to find some info about it. They make these in California. So it's U.S. made. They are made of therapeutic and moisturizing ingredients formulated for normal to dry skin. They come in a very nice 
box. Each bath bomb is individually wrapped nice. with crinkly tissue paper. Oh my, but okay. The smell. Each one is amazing. So I like to close my eyes and just pick one. Mm-hmm. You get 12 in a box for $26. Well, that's a really good price. That's about $2 a bath bomb yeah. compared to Lush, which is 7 to $8 a bath bomb. And these are truly, truly amazing. I just feel like once you try these, I stopped buying any bath bombs at Lush mm. or, or really anywhere else. I only, obviously, I love baths. I don't take them in the summer. Mm-hmm. So I had, I just ordered my new box. It just came. I am getting ready. As um, soon as we get some colder weather. You're ready. I'm, I'm there. Here's the great thing about these. No matter which one you pick, you, the smell is great and they will not stain your tub. Oh, and good. it might be hard to believe because one of them, uh, and I don't remember what the scent was, but it's actually, it'll make the entire water and all of that black. Oh, weird. It's really weird. And I remember I was like, oh, wow. But no, will not stain no matter which one you pick and go with. They're great. It's Life Around Two Angels handcrafted bath bombs. I do order them on Amazon. Okay, that was going to be my question. Yes, I do. And you can, it's the same price. You can also order on their website, but I just usually order them with something else I'm ordering. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah. Well, that you are right. That is absolutely a Jonathan type of product. <laughs> he, this man loves a bath and I am not a bath kind of person myself. I cannot sit still. Like I just, it's not in my DNA and I, I don't like to be hot or really wet at all. <laughs> if I can, if okay, I can help well, it, but there's so, I am the outlier. I am the weird person that doesn't enjoy a bath. There are so many. And I, I love this option for like a, not a cheaper bath bomb, but like a, a better one, right? It is way less expensive, mm-hmm. but such high quality. But yes. Like a luxury and, experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you and, don't feel bad. I mean, like, wow, here's goes seven bucks, like two bucks. Okay. Yeah. $2. And I don't, I mean, I don't know if John cares if we talk about, you know, but is he a bubble person? Is he, I don't think he's is a, bubble he a person. bath bomb person? He's a, he be he, bath bomb person. He could be a bath bomb person. It is, he's a salt kind of guy for like muscles okay. and like, I don't know, maybe some oils. But you can, he could do, uh, he could do salt with these because these don't bubble. Right. Exactly. So they won't mess yes. things up. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good pick. All right. Bath 101. Okay. What's your loving lately? (laughs) All right. So my loving lately fits in very well with the episode topic today. So it is called, it's a TV show and it's Nine Perfect Strangers on Hulu. Okay. This show is inspired by the book from Leanne Moriarty. Did you read the book? No. Okay. Okay. I didn't either because I heard from so many people across the board back when it came out that they hated the book. And I was like, it just, it, it was there. I just never picked it up. Very, very rarely will I ever watch a TV show before reading the book. But in this case, I was like, I'm probably not going to read it anyway. I'm not mm-hmm. going to miss anything. And I really like Melissa McCarthy. She, I do too. She's one of the stars of the show. And so is Nicole Kidman. They're very, like, I love watching them act. So I was like, all right, let me, let me try this mm-hmm. out. The show is about, and the book, is about nine people who go to this high-end wellness retreat, and it promises rest, relaxation, and transformation. So these are all strangers, and you're kind of getting to know the characters. There's a couple of people who go solo, including a writer who's forever chasing the success she once had. 
a gruff man who doesn't seem to care about what anybody thinks, and a woman who is putting up this positive front, but you can tell she's about one minute away from cracking. And then you have a rich couple who are beautiful on the outside, but are there to fix their marriage, and a family of three, the Marconis, who each have their own thing they're struggling with. The show is weird, but it's my kind of weird in that it's set in reality. You're on this beautiful resort. You're in California, kind of like, all right, there's a bunch of hippies. There's, you know, interesting cinematography going on. And it took its time revealing itself. At first, I, I was like, okay, it's a regular show. But I'm like, oh, we're getting we're getting weird. I see what's happening here. <laughs> the characters are, for the most part, very interesting. Of course, I Melissa McCarthy stole the show from me. But we do find out that they all have their dark secrets. This place is very, very hard to get into. And you kind of realize that the resource leader, Masha, who's played by Nicole Kidman, picked these people by design. So I don't want to say too much more than that, obviously, because the reveal was a part of the fun. I will say I love the setting. I found myself thinking just one more episode, which I think is a good sign. The soundtrack of this is also excellent. I love when there's good music mixed within everything else. So I have not read the book again, but I can see how this wouldn't translate to print. So I would say maybe if you read the book, didn't like it, give the show a shot and see what you think. I did see that the author's name is in the opening credits. So it looks like she had some input into the script. If you are looking for something to grab your attention and that will help you hold on to the last few days of warm weather, (laughs) this could work. There are only eight episodes, which is perfect for me. I love a limited series. This is Nine Perfect Strangers on Hulu. Okay. Did you finish it all? I did finish it all. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, uh, I'm going to have to add that to my TV list, which I don't know when I'm going to get to right. all these TV shows I want to watch. Exactly. And it's kind of the busy season for us. So mm-hmm. I've been watching this at night when John is sleeping or at football or whatever. And like, I don't know that it would be a show I'd watch with him. I don't think he'd like it. <laughs> but for me, I was into it. Okay, great. All right. Well. Do you want to start with your latest read? Sure, I can go first. My latest read is a book that is going to stay with me for a really long time. This is nonfiction, and it's called An American Summer, Love and Death in Chicago by Alex Kotlowitz. I picked this up because I haven't read very many nonfiction books this year at all. This has been on my list forever, and what grabbed my attention is that the author wrote this to bring context to the gun violence in Chicago. And he doesn't attempt to solve this very, very massive problem, and he doesn't judge. He just prevents the facts and stories of real people. On the back there, you'll see right in the beginning that the numbers are absolutely staggering. Over the past 20 years in Chicago, some 14,000 people have been killed. Wow. And another 60,000 or so were wounded by gunfire, and this was at the time of the book's writing. It's a couple years old. Now, the author is a white journalist, which initially made me wary. But right away, I realized that this wasn't a lark for the author. He wasn't writing about these marginalized communities from a faraway lens. He really got in there and got to know the people. He attended barbecues, funerals, court trials, people's houses, and all under the central question of what does this violence do to the spirit of individuals and community? And basically, he worked to uncover their stories. This book absolutely moved me. It's told in a variety of different sections. And sometimes you'll see the same person pop up more than once. And sometimes it's just a short story about somebody. But each of their stories brought something different out in me. He also 
I thought did a really good job of balancing who he interviewed. It's not all innocent people. It's not everyone that was Mm. like just an innocent bystander. He got to know some of the people that used to be involved in this violence or were accused of being involved in the violence. One man described a shooting that he was involved in as 30 seconds of rage. Then you have a story about a mother who testified at the trial of her son who was killed in favor of the man who shot him because she was saying if the ties were turned... I can easily see things going the other way. And I would want my son to have the same compassion that I'm offering. I'm like getting chills just thinking about it. Oh, wow. Now, he interviews former gang leaders, and they basically say they can't explain what's going on either. But they do talk about how guns give them power and how this power made them feel a semblance of control in an otherwise powerless situation. The hardest parts to read for me were that of the school kids and their social workers and what it does to the community when these kids are killed obviously take care when you're reading this, but it is true story. It's This is what is happening, obviously, especially for me living in Chicago. It made me feel like I can understand my city a little bit better. Also made me reflect on my own privilege and made me inspired to get involved in a way that's a little bit deeper than just being an observer. This is a story of heartbreak, fear, compassion, and resilience. And I, again, I'd had to take some breaks while reading this. I actually listened to it and the author narrates it which I thought was an interesting choice, but I'm glad that he got to tell his story because he's the one that was involved over so many years to make this come out. I also want to recommend a fabulous fiction book to pair with it, Saving Ruby King by Catherine Adele West. The plot centers on gun violence in the South side of Chicago, and I think they go very well together. I do highly recommend this book. It's An American Summer, Love and Death in Chicago by Alex Kotlowitz. Oh, I have not heard of that. Yeah, the cover is really great, too. It's this man, at least the cover of the book that I borrowed from the library, is this man standing out in the rain without a shirt on and kind of like yelling up to the sky almost. Okay. Very, very eye-catching. Okay. So does he come to any conclusions without sharing them? No, no, no. No, not really. Like, this is not a book that is a that is meant to provide solution. And I think some folks, when they're reading this book, get frustrated with that because it's not giving us any answers. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. what now? What do we do with this information? This isn't that kind of book. It's more or less about sharing people's stories, letting them be heard, and Mm -hmm. giving context. I think it's easy for folks on the outside to have a stereotype about what might go on in these neighborhoods in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was really a great way to Give it some humanity. It's just people's stories. There's not really a okay. not really a resolution. Yeah. At, which how could there be? You know, obviously, yeah, something needs to change, and we're not going to figure it out from one book. But yeah, it was it was pretty powerful. Does he compare cities? So is is Chicago one of the highest for gun violence as far as like big cities go? I don't know. He's from Chicago. Like he lived here. He went to school here. So I think he's just looking at it from this lens. I do believe we're up there. If not the highest, we've got to be in the top three. Okay. Not anything to be proud of, but yeah. Right. Yeah. I am curious about other cities. Okay. Well, good. What is your latest read? My latest read is in line with our topic today. (laughs) And it is The Stowaway by James Murray and Darren Wearmouth. Never heard of it. Mm -mm. Okay. I had not either until I saw Dennis at Scared Straight Reads on Instagram post about this. And his review just, it, it got me. So I immediately 
downloaded this on audio. And I don't think this would have crossed my path had it not been for his post. But James Murray is Murr from Impractical Jokers. Did you ever watch that show? Uh-uh, <laughs> you no. did it? Oh my uh-uh. gosh. It's still on. You have to go watch an episode of Impractical I'm, Jokers. This has gone over my head completely. I'm looking at her like, hmm? they're four childhood best friends, guys. And they're in, I mean, they're, they're in their forties probably now. And they feel that it's reality, but they are impractical jokers. They go and they are complete idiots. And then. <laughs> Can I tell you, I hate practical jokes. You do? <laughs> I hate April Fool's Day. I hate okay, practical well, jokes. I like, you might whatever, <laughs> yeah, whatever like chip, like humor chip is in people's brains to enjoy that. I do not have, like, it's so bizarre. Oh my gosh. I am glad that you found that connection. That's a fun connection. Well, I used to watch this show with my um, younger son. He loves this show. So anyway, I had no idea that Murr wrote mysteries and thrillers. That's great. That's crazy. (laughs) And I'll tell you, it was pretty good. So let me give you the, the short setup. Two years ago, Maria Fontana was the deciding vote on a jury that set alleged serial killer Wyatt Butler free. Now, she and her family have decided to go on a two-week vacation on a transatlantic cruise. This is two years after the trial is over. But when passengers are discovered brutally murdered in a similar way to Butler's ritualistic M.O., the ship goes on lockdown. Maria, one of only 12 people in the world with intimate knowledge of the case, faces a perilous ticking clock. Is it a copycat or is she trapped on board with the maniac she chose to set free? This is popcorn thriller straight Mm -hmm. up. It is a really perfect popcorn thriller. I ended it like I said, I got it on audio. I listened to the whole thing in one day. So the length is great for popcorn thriller. I will say this is gory. So Mm -hmm. I ended up watching an um, Instagram live that Dennis did with the author. Mm -hmm. And he explained, which he kind of explained that at the end of the book too. If you get the audio book, there's a Q&A at the end that's really good with both authors asking each other questions and talking about the plot. And he also talked about that in Dennis's interview. However, I wouldn't watch that till after you read the book. Sure. But that makes sense. Anyway, he talked about how they wanted the feel of Silence of the Lambs. And it kind of is not quite at the level of Silence of the Lambs. And Maria is not quite at Clarice Starling. But Maria is a psychologist. So very similar. Mm -hmm. What I really loved about this book is the whole setup with what happened with the jury trial, what's she doing? And she's a professor of psychology at Columbia. And she's very smart. When they get on the cruise ship, and by the time things start happening, there are threads that the authors put out there that, I mean, I thought for sure, it was like, I see where this is going. I'm a mystery. Right, you're like, you can't fool me. Well, I was was wrong. I mean... I was really kind of floored by where this story went in a really positive way. I mean, positive for me because I like to be fooled. So once they get out, they, they get three days away, three to three to five days away from land. And then things go crazy. And that setup where you're on, a, I've never been on a cruise. Me either. No, thank you. Yeah. 
I can't imagine being out there and no one knows what to do and people are getting murdered. And by the way, I do have to say the victims in this story are children and teens. Oh, and it's like an interesting choice. Okay. I kind of was messaging Dennis about this and I was like, wow, I can't. I mean, risky of the authors to go there. Yeah, right. But they did. And just know that if, if that's not your type of serial killer story, then this probably wouldn't be for you. I mean, not that any serial killer book is brutal and usually, but when kids are involved, right. sometimes it's you an don't. extra layer. Right. And it's pretty, it's pretty out there as far as some of the, some of the happenings, but I, lo- I actually loved it. And, oh, I, so and I did not think so. I did not think I would, but I wanted to give it a try. I trust Dennis. So anyway, that was The Stowaway by James Murray. Yes. Okay. Now that you're telling me all of this, I do remember seeing Dennis talk about it. He is a great recommendation mm-hmm. source. I, he's one I trust. Like, if he likes it, he keeps it real. In this story, does the serial killer have a perspective? Uh, ooh, you tricked me. Oh, wait. Don't let that be a spoiler, though. Yeah, I don't even want to say anything else about mm-hmm. it. I want to say it's really mainly from Maria's. Okay. She's from the, the psychologist's yes, perspective. From the psychologist's perspective. It. And it's possible that we'll have more of her the way that this the setup was at the end. But this is a resolved story. And Got it. yeah. I want to say, I don't know. I think just if this sounds good, I would not even read anything else about it. Just jump in. That sounds good. If, if this is your kind of book, you'll know it from what Renee just shared with us. Right. It's been a while since I read a good popcorn oh, thriller. Like, it's been a while. It's true. This would have been perfect for our popcorn thriller episode, mm-hmm. um, especially the length. Like, it's just easily bingeable. I think Dennis said he read it in one sitting. Mm-hmm. I can see how that yeah. would take place. It's 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 good. It's really, really good. I just wouldn't. Who knew? I was like, who knew? Right, Murr from Murr. A Practical Jokers wrote Murr. books. Good for him. I love. I love when and that happens. When that, they're like, "Oh, an ER doctor and an author," or like, you know, they're a professor and a, whatever. I'm like, how? How do you do these things? I, I know, <laughs> and I think he talked about that some. And he and his co-author are really. It sounds like they're best friends. Mm-hmm. So that that helps, and they write really well together. And then I really like when an author too at the end for the author's note. He's just you can tell he's a personable guy. And he was honest because he said, look, if you like my book, I I hope you do. I hope you go read it. I hope you like it. If you do, please tell other people about it. And if you don't, shut your damn mouth. Uh -uh. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, wouldn't most authors like to say that? That's great. That is really funny. Look, hey. It was great. It was good. That's good. I I recommend. All right. Well, sounds Sounds like a winner. I'm glad you found one that's a winner because I know those can be hit or miss. That was fun. Yeah. Oh, well, are we ready to talk about characters? Let's we do it. love to hate. Yeah. For today, we th- we're thinking about characters we love to hate. And one of the questions we brought up to each other was what makes a character hateable? That they can be manipulative. They can be bullies. They can be liars. Or even murderers. Or psychopaths, mm-hmm. or murderers so, usually are psychopaths, but not necessarily. <laughs> right. Why do you think it is we like to hate on characters? Well, and that's a great question. So I, and I really had to think about this so that we mm-hmm. could talk about it. These types of characters are complex, usually. 
And their behavior is something we usually wouldn't do. I mean, of course, especially when it comes to the killers that we read about or just the really, really manipulative, unlikable. It's kind of fun to see what either shenanigans or like problems or what what are they going to get themselves into and how bad is it going to get for them? And is anyone else, quote unquote, good going to be able to change anything with the other characters, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just sitting back and almost admiring how clever they mm-hmm. are. Like, oh, my God, like there's something to I know I would never do this. I would never lie in that way. I would never do that to a person. I would never say that. But like, what if somebody did? Like, it's kind of fun to sit back and watch and see, okay, if you do this crazy thing, what's going to happen? Right. And I wonder if for authors, it's fun to write characters that they know their readers will hate. I bet it is. Because I feel like it would be, right? Think about how flawed some of these characters are. How fun would that be to just see how twisted you're going to make them Mm -hmm. or how far are you going to take them and how big of holes are they going to dig themselves into? Mm -hmm. And we we get to sit back and read about it and kind of live vicariously through Mm -hmm. watching it all unfold. Right. And it's that tension and it kind of reminds me a little bit about our, yeah, it reminds me a little bit about our episode last week with the books that scared us is we can sit back and watch from a safe place. Mm -hmm. We can learn from this situation. We can see it play out. And then it's kind of fun to say, okay, is this person going to get theirs? Are they going to like get away with it? Or how is this going to shape up for them? Right. And I know that for my picks, they, well, one of them doesn't, but I don't really have any unlikable dysfunctional family type. Mm -hmm. But I think that that also is its own kind of genre of style of books, which I Mm -hmm. do like to read some dysfunctional family. I just think when I think about unlikable, evil types of characters, I gravitate towards the darker side. Did you do the same? Yes. For this episode, most of mine are not family, like family drama. Mm -hmm. One is a family. And this character, there is no person on earth that's going to be like, yeah, I liked him. Like this guy (laughs) is the worst and he does some very serious things. So yeah. Okay. I was just get. I lost myself because I was thinking about how much I hate this guy. (laughs) (laughs) You'll see in a minute. Uh, Well, okay. So, you know, of course I had to, to look up some stuff, but why do we like to read about characters that scare us or that we hate. Like, why do we like to do that? According to a couple, you know, studies, there was a particular study about how women especially are drawn to true crime and crime type of books with characters that if either they're real or else they feel so real in, if they're in fiction because of the potential life-saving knowledge that we can gain from reading them. So I don't know. I hadn't thought about it like that. I think, at least for me, my days are filled with not routine, but it's a lot of like, okay, I go to work, I Mm -hmm. see the baby, I make dinner, I do this and this. And it's like, this is a fun escape. It's a fun way to, I guess, it's entertainment, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Well, would you say that you're a law-abiding 
for the most part, rule follower. Like, like I, I, I mean, I, I am. I am the biggest rule follower on the planet. <laughs> I get anxiety if I'm like, I can't jaywalk. I, can't, I have to go I to do the crosswalk. I do the same thing, Tina. Do you really? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I cannot cross the street if I'm not in the crosswalk. I can't do it. Like, I got a parking ticket, like, two, three weeks ago, and I was mortified. I was like, there was no sign. I didn't know. Like, the fact that I accidentally, it was $25, like, not going to break the bank, but I was beyond mortified because I was like, oh, I just can't believe they, <laughs> like, I, I can't believe I let myself park in this spot. Like, I am queen of rule following. So it is kind of fun, I think, to live vicariously and see what happens for somebody that has no regard for exactly, law or rules. Exactly. Like, how can you live that way? So we get, so us rule followers get to read these stories where either these people get themselves into potential legal problems or moral and ethical and they just cross all those boundaries and it is fun to read about. It is fun to see. It's fun. And it is also, there's the fear or there's the dread. And like you said, the tension that can be built because you may not know where these characters are going to take, you know, the next part of the story. Mm-hmm. So right. that's and fun. Especially for us. Well, I don't, consider myself a very creative person. So I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like if we're used to following the mm-hmm. rules and doing the right thing, I'm like, I can't possibly imagine what's how this is going to play out. So let me read. Exactly. So do you need to like the characters in your book? No. I mean, I think we kind of answered that. Yeah. But well, I think though there are some people that really like to they have to like at least some of the characters in the book, right? And I I would say I need to at least care about them. Um I need to, I kind of like unlikable characters though, but they have to have depth. That's Mm, the the big thing for me. If they're one dimensional, unless it's by design, if it's just they're pure evil and all the other story is structured around this person being the absolute worst, like almost like a supernatural evil force Mm -hmm. type thing that I can deal with. But if it's a real person, I want them to have nuance. I want there to be some depth to it. Even better if there's some sort of I like to know a motivation, like, mm-hmm. why, how did they get this way? You know, I like that push-pull. You are exactly right. Everything you just said, everyone, keep that in mind, because that oh. so applies to one of my books today. And that's exactly okay. why I especially liked some of these characters, because in one of them that I'm bringing, there was really nobody like, there was nobody likable in the whole story. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But they were complicated. They had depth in just the way that the characters were created with different parts of where occasionally, and to me, depth, depth means occasionally you might get a spark of like, okay, I I can see where that person's coming from, even though I don't like them at all. The author's mm-hmm. able to do that. Is that what you're yeah. talking about for depth? Absolutely. And I am, I wonder if it's easier to write these kind of stories. I bet it's difficult to give the reader a character that they know they're going to hate for a variety mm-hmm. of reason, but still get them to care about it, still get yes. them to read the story. I feel like that's a real skill. Uh, I would think it has to be. Yeah. And I bet there are books that try to do it and don't do it very well. For <laughs> sure. We don't, and that's what we don't end up reading. And that's, them, what, that's probably what reviewers and, crit- and book critics and all that would call like one dimensional flat. Mm-hmm. Like the character yep. lacked originality and, and all of that. So back to, okay. So here's my happy question. Do you find yourself bored if the story 
is a happy one. I mean, are you just, do you even like to read about a book full of likable, happy people? (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm trying to think of, no, I'm just trying to think of the last book I read that was happy. The one that comes to mind, I was midway through The Royals Next Door. I think it's a very charming book. The people are in it. They're happy at times. However, there's depth. There's things that are going on. There's conflict. We can't just have like everybody's happy. Things mm-hmm. are all good. Where's the conflict? What are we reading about here? You guys will have to tell us. Are there <laughs> are there books like what's a happy story? Where everybody that is likable. Mm-hmm. I would. I I can't think of one that I've read recently where everybody's likable. I'm gonna. We're gonna have to po- put this to the crowd. Right. I'm trying to think. And about I that. personally don't have to have even. I don't have to like anybody in order mm-hmm. to still enjoy the story. I don't. Yeah, I don't need to like them. I need to be interested by them. Exactly. Obviously. Exactly. Well, let's get, do you want to get started? Let's get started. Okay. I'll go first. All right. And the way that I did it, I kind of, well, let me just tell you what my first book is. <laughs> <laughs> my first book is In My Dreams, I Hold a Knife by Ashley Winstead. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I started reading this, I'm talking 10 pages. I messaged Renee to say, this feels like such a Tina book. <laughs> and I was right. I'm smiling just thinking about this book because it's got one of my catnip synopses. You have six best friends who get back together for their 10-year college reunion. And at the center of the narrative is Jessica, a woman who's tightly controlled in all aspects of her life, from her home to her job to her workouts to her appearance. And she's dead set on impressing everyone at the college reunion She's changed her life from college. She's dyed her hair blonde. She's gotten this top promotion. And she gets the letter in the mail inviting her to this homecoming. She's like, all right, this is my time to take center stage. She buys like a dress that's worth two times her mortgage. She is ready to impress. But then you find out they used to be called the East House Seven, but one of their best friends, Heather, got brutally murdered their senior year. And you open the book with Jessica like, excited. And you think like, if you didn't know any better, like, oh, it's going to be a great time. When she and all of the friends get to homecoming, they find out that not everyone is ready to move on. Some of the friends are still stuck in the past. And one person in particular is not ready to let Heather's murder stay cold. I picked this for characters we love to hate because you could very easily hate all of the seven at different points in the book. They lie, they manipulate, (laughs) they one-up each other, and they have a very, very complicated love for each other. This is a debut. You would not guess it from the writing. The writing is very well done. And even though there are a lot of alternating timelines and a lot of characters to keep straight, she does a great job at keeping things even. It's a very propulsive read because the chapters are short. And the author is always playing with time. So, for example, a character will accuse another character of something. And in the very next chapter, it's present day. And you get to find out what happened back then. Oh, cool. And she'll go from senior year to sophomore year just to make the points to help us really understand who these people were in college. I can struggle with a book that has too many perspectives or too many timelines, but I was never taken out of the action with this one. And I thought the pacing was pretty consistent the whole time. What I enjoyed was that the characters were complicated. Some were more central to the plot than others, but you get a lot of backstory for the main ones. These folks have issues with a capital I, but it was fun. I thought this was the perfect fall book. The majority of the plot takes place right there on campus, in the frat houses, in dorms, dances, 
homecoming parades. And I saw somebody call this the perfect millennial thriller, and I could not agree more. This book takes place just a couple of years after I graduated college, so I was taken right back to the early 2000s. Oh, okay. Yeah. The ending was very satisfying. It was pretty cinematic. And this is a dark campus novel about the dark side of love, friendship, ambition, and obsession, and I loved it. It is In My Dreams, I Hold a Knife by Ashley Winstead. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad you brought that. Um, I've been mean, uh, as soon as I got it in the mail from the publisher, I was like, okay, this like is my book. Mm -hmm. I was confused about why it's called In My Dreams, I Hold a Knife. And there's a picture of scissors on the cover. Oh, I still don't. I I know why the scissors, the knife I'm a little (laughs) confused by, but I do like the title. I remember the title is what jumped out to me first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely catchy. Okay, that's on my TBR. Um, Yeah. So that's a good one. uh, what took me so long to get around to it is that there's no audiobook available for oh, it. Oh, now that you said that, that's exactly uh-huh. right. I remember looking for it when it I'm first like, came Hello? out. And I was like, where's the, wait, because you know us. I'm like, where's the audiobook? Where's the audiobook? I couldn't believe it. I have not read a book lately, like where there's been no audio. But anyway, who cares? Okay. <laughs> go, go get the print copy. Yes. Okay, good. What do you got for us? I think I'm going to start dark mm-hmm. with one of my dark ones. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> one of your dark one of three. My, one of my two, two out of three dark ones. Okay. I am going to start with The Taker by Alma Katsu. <gasps> oh my gosh. Alma Katsu. Yes. I knew you would. I knew that would perk you up. Tell me about this book. I've never heard of it. Okay. This is her debut. Okay. It is book one of the Taker trilogy. So you're going to have to read three, Tina. Probably why I never have heard of it. So I was like, oh, a trilogy? No, goodbye. <laughs> But I just listened to the first one and the audio was great and I feel okay. Well, I don't know. I think I'm, I think I will have to get the next book, but I feel okay leaving it where it was. This is categorized as a fantasy thriller and it, excuse me. Yes. Look at you. I know it really, really was. Here is the setup on the midnight shift at a hospital in rural Maine, Luke Finley He's a doctor and he's working in the ER when a mysterious woman, Lenore, arrives escorted by the police. Lenore is a murder suspect and Luke is inexplicably drawn to her. As she tells her story, an impassioned account of love and betrayal that transcends time and mortality, she changes his life forever. That's the setup. What ends up happening is... You know that she's found with a dead man mm-hmm. and Lainey, she calls herself Lainey. He calls her Lainey in the book, goes back and starts to tell her story. Tons of this book is actually set in the 19th century. So in the 1800s. Whoa. And, you know, I'm not super into like way back historical fiction. I loved it. I really love both parts. I loved the the historical part and the present day. So once she goes back, she tells the story of how she was consumed as a child by her love for the son of St. Andrew's founder. He was wealthy. Her family was not. There was absolutely no way they were ever going to be able to be together, but she would have done anything to be with him. And what ends up happening is she finds out the price for that is something that she will pay for. And that's really vague, but it is 
a little like making a deal with the devil. And what got this on my radar was the potential for a very dark love triangle. Mm-hmm. So that is exactly what this was, but very, very dark. And the love triangle part, which I know is not your favorite, was really secondary because okay. you get Lainey's story. And, and during this time period, things were very brutal. Mm-hmm. The conditions, the living conditions, the way that children were treated. And I felt bad for her. But I will say I chose this as characters we love to hate because something happens that involves Lainey being sent to Boston. And there she ends up being taken in by a quote unquote family. And Uh you find that they almost like the prince of the family. I'm not really sure what he was. His name is Adair. And if you can think of a Dracula type of vibe, Uh that's what you get from him. Although this is not a Dracula type plot. There's something very, very off about him. And he is not a nice person. Adair is the perfect villain name, by the way. Isn't that good? I'm like, immediately I was like, oh, got it. Yeah. He And he is, of course, strikingly handsome. And, you Naturally. know, of course. Naturally. And, and so is Jonathan. Oh, Lainey's Jonathan is, yes, is who she wants to be with. And, you know, is not. Now that's a good name. There you go. <laughs> that, does that tempt you? Okay. Here's what I loved. I love the story. These are really, really long sections. So when you go back to get the backstory, it's almost like you forgot that, wait, we're going to go to present day someday. I got so got it. sucked into mm-hmm. the history and what was happening with Adair. And these are really, really bad people. And at times it was very, very graphic in terms of sexually graphic, sadistically torturous at times, as far as some of the scenes, this is dark. And you know, because you've read her before, she can can write dark. She definitely does that here. And what I really liked was Lenore was so complicated. There were times, and so that was perfect when we keep saying like, we'd like a complicated, complex character. That was her. She drove me up the wall most of the time. Like, I I just was like, oh, you make the absolute worst decisions. I cannot stand anything you're doing. <laughs> I didn't like her. But then we'd go to present day. And then I'd be like, I like older Lanny in present day. But I don't like what she's doing. I really liked Luke. So he was the one character that... If I had to say, like, I had, there was one likable character, it would have been him. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's a whole interesting storyline with the present day. So she weaves this really amazing story with alternating timelines, which is not, you know, my favorite, but I loved it. Loved it. And I think I will have to get the second one. I will say if you liked, okay, here's this. This is for you, Tina. If you like The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue... Don't, but wait, but you want something much darker, pick this up. If you didn't like The Invisible Life of Addie Addie LaRue, which is Tina, and you hoped it would be something different and much, much darker, uh, then pick this up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
That's actually the book pretty early on when you were describing it that it reminded me of. Mm-hmm. Like this kind of is giving me a little bit of an Addy vibe. Mm-hmm. I think it was when you said the deal with the devil. This obviously. could be for you because Addy didn't work for you. And for the reasons that Addy may have not worked for you, this might. So I don't know. Give it a try. That was The Taker by Alma Katsu. This is a good one. I'm so glad you brought that. I do like the author a lot. So I would be definitely open. Once I find an author I like, I'm like, okay, let me try it. Like I'm, I trust mm-hmm. in your ability to tell a story, even though, even if it's not like a plot that I'm drawn to, mm-hmm. I might give it a, you know, give it a shot. And you know what? You're exactly right because she is a really good writer and she can tell the story. Yeah. There's, there's just nothing as far as the writing goes, there is nothing that would indicate this was a debut. I had no, I didn't even know until I oh, went back right. to I write forgot. my notes for this, that this yeah. was her debut. Wow. Yeah. And she's got plenty of books now. Yeah. The one that I brought a couple of episodes ago was The Hunger. Mm-hmm. And then there, I have a few of hers on my TBR as well. Oh, okay. okay. Well, good. Thank you. Next for me is a bit of a throwback. It is The Color Purple by Alice Walker. Oh, okay. Are you familiar with this story at all? Um, No. I know okay. the book, of course, but I, I really don't You're have not, You story. haven't read it. Okay. So this is my push to encourage everybody to push themselves as readers every once in a while. Because the first time I tried to read The Color Purple, I, I couldn't get through it. I didn't try very hard. I wasn't sure what I was getting into. And it, I think it was right in the beginning of the pandemic. So I was like, I'm not ready for this. The following year, I picked it back up. I loved this book. This is a classic, Mm -hmm. which is not my normal fare, but I knew it was loved by so many and I can absolutely see why. The reason I set it aside in the very beginning and the first time is because it takes a little bit of time to get used to the writing style. It is an apostolary novel, meaning it's told through a series of letters. So these women are, I mean, it's the, I'll tell you about the book, but they write as they speak. So in the beginning, I'm like, I am not clear as to what's going on. I'm not ashamed to say I brought up kind of like a Google or like a a Wikipedia page rather to like figure out like, Mm -hmm. okay, who is this character? What's happening? And then once I got everyone straight, I loved it. I'm sure most people know at least something about the book, but in a nutshell, it's about the lives of Black women in the early part of the 1900s in rural Georgia. You've got two sisters, Celia and Nettie, who were separated as girls. And like I said, this book is epistolary. It's told through a series of letters that span 20 years. The character you love to hate in this story is called Mr. Blank. Because she's writing it out, she doesn't call him by anything but Mr. for the beginning of the story. It's almost you love to hate him because he's so vile. Like, it's just not a good character. He is unbelievably brutal to Celie. And for most of the book, even though they're husband and wife, He's just Mr. You hate this man for what he's doing. This wasn't a character that was morally gray. This one I love to hate because I was like, okay, please, Lord, tell me that something's going to get this man in the end. (laughs) And I, I feel bad even saying that, but this guy was bad. So this book is so special and memorable for a lot of reasons. It's a book that brings to light domestic sexual abuse, which at the time it was written was not talked about often in public arenas, let alone in fiction. What really, really sucked me in was the strong women characters. These women are amazing. They are fully realized characters. And Alice Walker gives a voice to the oppressed and abused Black women and paints them with full color. 
you get to know all of their quirks, their ins and outs, their character arcs, their friendship was so powerful. They're lifting each other up, even though they're in some of these brutal relationships. Obviously, it's a pretty heavy read, but I will say the especially dark parts are near the front. So don't let that deter you. If you like our mystery and thrillers, you can hang with this. It gets lighter, I think, as the book goes on. It's got LGBT representation, and it was written in 1982, which I think is very important to mention. And there's a lot of hope. Even though, again, this book is brutal in parts, there is a lot of hope to it. Fun fact that no one but me and my husband will care about, that there is a character in this story named Lily, and it's spelled the same way as our Lily, L-I-L-L-I-E. I love this book so much. And I also watched the movie after I read it, which is something I never do. Oprah's in it. It holds up. Absolutely. So if you want to read a classic book, a story that will stick with you, and it's one of those books that I was like, oh, I'm so glad I can cross this off my list. I feel really accomplished. I feel like I got to have a glimpse into a group of people that obviously it's the early 1900s in Georgia. Like Mm -hmm. I have no connection to that, but it felt like I was there. The writing was very, very vivid, and I loved it. And this is The Color Purple by Alice Walker. You might have inspired many people to decide to yeah. go try out a classic. I feel like I might watch the movie. Mm-hmm. The movie was great. The movie is really good. Mm-hmm. Oprah's fantastic. The character in the book is great, but like in the movie, I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And when yeah. I think of The Color Purple, I think of Oprah. Because yeah, I know yeah. I know that she was in it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I know. Now I'm like, I want to watch it again. It was really good. And I, I, I'm not a movie kind of person, but this story is so like powerful. It just connected with me. Okay, good. Well, I, I'm really going to take a turn because your book was very substantial. And this one is just pure entertainment. <laughs> and We need both kinds okay. of books. It is. Who is Maude Dixon? Oh, yes. Yes, okay. by Alexandra Andrews. Have you read this? No, but it has been on my list, and it keeps coming in my library hold. And I'm like, all right, next seven days, seven ah, days. Okay, <laughs> well, I listened to it. Mm-hmm. The audio have... was great. Okay, that's the way to go. The audio was great because you get to hear from both these two. And they were, <laughs> I don't know, there's something about audio that just brings characters like this to life. Now, if you... If you like the sound of it, don't go to Goodreads and read any of the full synopsis. I'm just going to give you a short one, and that's all that you need. So Florence Darrow is a small-town striver who believes that she's destined to become a celebrated writer. When she stumbles into the opportunity to become the assistant to Maude Dixon, a celebrated but anonymous novelist, she believes that the universe is finally providing her big chance. The arrangement feels idyllic. Helen can be prickly, but she is full of pointed wisdom on both writing and living. She even invites Florence along on a research trip to Morocco, where her new novel is set. Florence has never been out of the country before. Maybe, she imagines, she'll finally have something exciting to write about. Things turn very twisty by the halfway point, and that's all you need to know. This book... I'm so glad I finally picked it because when it came out, I think it got some mixed reviews. And I think I saw some things here and there and I let that sway me to put it aside. But this book is perfect 
for unlikable characters. These Good. two okay. are not in any way, shape, or form very likable. <laughs> but I was so entertained by both of them. Florence, she works for a publisher initially. And so that you get that whole like publishing feel and which I really liked. And every now and then she would throw out a statement that would make me feel bad for her. And, you know, you get some backstory as to her, Mm -hmm. like you said, like we talked about before with her backstory, I would think, oh, okay. All right. Now I I get why Florence might be like that. And now I feel kind of bad for her, but then she'll go and say or do something that I'm just like, oh, I don't like you. Got it. It was both. And the author did such a good job with that. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Helen. Helen is really unlikable. And she was Southern. And she had this like biting, sarcastic wit that there were times that Helen would say things and I, it was, I was just laughing out loud. But I didn't <laughs> like her at Got all. It. it was Do you one know of what those. I mean? You're just like, I, did you? Re- okay. <laughs> yeah, it, w- it was. And there's not a lot that I can or want to say about the story, because if you like the idea of someone, you've got an anonymous author and, and why is she anonymous? Hmm. You know what I mean? What's going on with Helen and what, and then what's going to happen to Florence? And there is so much that goes on by the time they actually leave to go on this research trip. But it is kind of fun too, because you get the change in setting. And you get to go to Morocco. And believe me when I say a lot happens there. What I thought was going to be the ending, I you know how I had this whole storyline worked out in my mm-hmm. head. <laughs> and I was like, I know how this is going to go. I know it. What I thought was going to be the end happened midway. Oh, I love when that happens. You're and, like, wait, guys. And, and I was like, where oh, are you going? Oh, now I really have no idea where this story mm-hmm. is going. Mm-hmm. And that was the best. So if that sounds good, go grab it. It's Who is Maude Dixon by Alexandra Andrews. Yep. Yep. I'm definitely going to add that to my list. It's been on my list. This always reminded me of this and Finley Donovan for the longest time. I think I kept getting them confused. They did come. I think you might be right that they came out around the same time. Okay. Yeah. This came out in March of 21. Okay. Which, you know, eight years ago in our our days. And it's a boring (laughs) cover. It's not. Yeah. The cover is not not super memorable. Right. I think that's why Finley took off a little bit more is because of that dope cover everyone was yeah. posing with. And and she was likable. You True. Know? Oh, and yeah. This Very one, this is So I do think a lot of people had a complaints about this, about, mm. uh, you know, like, there's nobody likable. But that's kind of the point. Of yeah, this, you, you know, like, it it's fine. the point okay. of the story. Um, okay. Yeah, it's, it was good. So, yeah. Good. Okay, what do you have next? All right. So my last book, speaking of books that the main character has very few redeeming qualities, I have A Ladder to the Sky uh, by John Boyne. I suspected this one. This book, when I sell, when I tell you this motherfucker. <laughs> beep, beep. I mean, okay, okay, okay. So I was trying to decide what book am I going to bring for unlikable characters? And I was looking at my shelves and I swear to you, the universe intervened. It was like this one because it was like a bolt of lightning. I had not read it, but I knew people had very strong opinions oh, about it had, on both oh, you sides. Had, you didn't read it when mm-hmm. it came out. No, okay. I did not. I owned it. I just never got to it. So this is the perfect book for this topic. You have Maurice Swift, and he is handsome, charming. 
and hungry for success. He will do anything he has to to get the one thing he wants more than anything else, to be a famous and successful author. The problem is, he's not a good writer. But he's not about to let a detail like that stand in his way. He has this way of ingratiating himself to people and stealing stories from them. And each section of the book breaks down a different time in his life where he's stolen from somebody new. What is so interesting about this book is Maury Swift is a protagonist, but much of the book is told from other characters' perspectives. I don't want to say who the perspectives are because that was a part of the fun was figuring out like, oh, you stole from this person too. Okay. And it took me a minute to get my bearings and to figure out like where this was all going. But about halfway through the first section, I was hooked. The second part was my least favorite. You had a lot of dialogue with old academic white men talking, (laughs) but it really picked up from there. This character is despicable. I truly did love to hate him while I was reading. This is a book about writers, and I love books about authors and about the writing process or about the process Mm -hmm. by which he was able to create these stories. I will say this is unique. Like I said, you don't know a ton about his origin story necessarily. You know some things about him and some of the things that are motivating him, but Still, even though he's the main character, the author, John Boyne, was able to get the readers to really care about what's going on and to see, like, how's this all going to play out? I thought the story was layered and unique, and the writing is excellent. I really enjoyed reading it, and this is highly recommended. It was A Ladder to the Sky by John Boyne. Okay, well. I know you read this as well. Yeah, I I did, and I wanted to peek and see what I said. (laughs) You know what I think? I know you read this one, correct? Did, or did you listen? I listened. See, and I don't know why I didn't listen to audiobooks that much when this one mm-hmm. came out. I think this would have played really much better for me on audio. Mm-hmm. I can see that. It was great on audio. And the accents are there. These people are real. Mm-hmm. They have different narrators, I think, for some I of think the different... Would, yeah, I think this would yeah. have been good. And I really think, I really truly think that I would like to actually... I thought about that for this topic. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was I wondering. Thought if about, you I thought about doing a reread on audio, but then you know these others. I decided to do them because this came out the, the year after the Hearts of Invisible Furies, mm-hmm. and that was that was my top book the year Same. it came out. I loved Me it too. so much, and I think I was just disappointed that we didn't get another Hearts Invisible Furies. Right. Do you know and what I, I mean? I, and I completely get that. And that's fair enough. And like sometimes too, as a reader, you're like, okay, I know I love this author, but their last book is an all-time favorite. It's not always going to hold up. I feel that way for Stephen King. Some of mm-hmm. his books are my literal all-time favorite books. And I, every new book, I'm like, all right, it's not going to be another stand, but like, is it still a highly, highly enjoyable book? It's sometimes hard, especially if in this case they were published back to back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree. This one was not as moving as The Heart's Invisible Furies, but that's like an all-time favorite for Mm -hmm. me as well. This, though, on its own, very much stands. It's a very different book. The writing is very, very good. The character is well-developed, even though he's sort of not. (laughs) Like, he's just, he's, it's complicated. Put it that way. This is very complicated, and I won't soon forget the things that he got into. Yeah. But also tr- yeah, trust in John Boyne. I mean, he can trust tell John a Boyne. story. Exactly. And I do think that what we have come up with too is unlikable characters are really kind of fun to listen to. Yeah. Don't mm-hmm. you think? I can see that. I can I mean, see I know, that. I know we like our, we like audiobooks. We do, but I think that they are fun to listen to on audio. 
Yeah, and it certainly depends on narration. When mm-hmm. they're done well, like, oh, yeah. like, And I think this was just narrated so well because of the just the structure of the book. Exactly. What's your okay. last one? All right. My last one is a, gosh, I'm bringing it, I'm bringing it serial killer thriller. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> All right. Today's a serial killer day, apparently. All right. So my third book is The Sandman by Lars Kepler. This is book four in the Juna Lena series. It's a Scandinavian serial killer thriller. This is where I started with this series. I don't have a thing where I have to go back and start at the beginning. So this to me was a great place to start. I actually read book four. Then I went and read book five. And then I went and read book three. Monster. I know. But (laughs) it's perfectly fine. I'm still good with the story. And I eventually will get to the others. This one is really good and creepy. So late one night outside Stockholm, Mikhail Frost is found wandering. 13 years earlier, he went missing along with his younger sister. They were long thought to have been victims of Sweden's most notorious serial killer, Jurik Walter, now serving a life sentence in a maximum security psychiatric hospital. Now Mikhail tells the police that his sister is still alive and being held by someone he knows only as the Sandman. Years ago, Detective Junalina made an excruciating personal sacrifice to ensure Jurek's capture. He is keenly aware of what this killer is capable of, and now he is certain that Jurek has an accomplice. He knows that any chance of rescuing Mikhail's sister depends on getting Jurek to talk, and that the only agent capable of this is Inspector Saga Bauer, a 27-year-old prodigy. She will have to go deep undercover in the psychiatric ward where Jurek is in prison, and she will have to find a way to get the psychopath before it's too late and before he gets inside her head. The reason this is so creepy is he is very much reminiscent of Hannibal Lecter Mm -hmm. in that, but he's his own brand of crazy. They keep him in a padded, like enclosed and no, and he doesn't speak. But anyone who goes in, they won't even take his food. Like they won't open a door because of what they think he's able to do. So they slide his food. And so Mm -hmm. the setup is so great because she's going to have to go in and she's going to have to figure out a way to talk to him. It's it's so creepy. It's very intricately plotted. Mm -hmm. It's a very smart, sophisticated very suspenseful type of thriller. There is a fast-paced plot, but he also, actually, I should say they, this is a husband and wife, I believe, writing duo, they create really intricate puzzles that you have to try to solve. At the same time, giving you a detective like Juna that you love. You want to know more because you also get bits and pieces of his backstory that makes you very invested in him. And I wanted the best for him. He's smart, he's flawed, and he's able to go head to head with evil. And that's what we all want in our detectives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. It all sounds right. good. It's really good. That was The Sandman by Lars Kepler. Now, does this detective, is he the one, the through thread for the series? Yes, Juno. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And the way they write is very interesting because even though I did... I read book four and then book five and then book three. I still understood what was like Juna's backstory. It's not Mm -hmm. like you have to, it's almost like a ton of French. 
Where Got it. it yeah. I don't find it absolutely necessary that everything be read in order. Got it. So it's it's one where you're like, okay, you can still catch on. You don't feel like you're missing out anything. Right. I was. I was. So, okay. Are we ready for shelf editions? Yes. I want to know what yours is. Okay. My shelf edition this week is called The Ark by Tori Henwood Hohen. And it comes out in February 2022. What got me was the cover. The cover is, it's like color blocked almost with two faces on it. And this is a smart romance said to be for fans of Taylor Jenkins Reid and Sally Rooney, which, hello. It's got 35-year-old Ursula Byrne. She's the VP of Strategic Audacity at a branding (laughs) agency in Manhattan. She is successful. She's whip-smart, funny, and very single. She's tried all of the dating apps, and let's just say she is underwhelmed by her options. She starts to think, you would think by now someone would have come up with a better way to do things, something more bespoke, and a way for users to have a more tailored dating experience. How hard can it be? Enter the ARC, a highly secretive, super sophisticated matchmaking service that uses a complex series of emotional, psychological, and psychological assessments to architect partnerships that will go the distance. The price tag is high and the promise is very ambitious, but it's promising a level of lifelong compatibility that would otherwise be unattainable. In other words, the ARC will find you your ideal mate. I'm like, all right, sign me up. I want to know more. Ursula gets paired with 42-year-old lawyer Raphael Banks. And from moment one, things are electric. It feels like, okay, finally, yes, this is the partnership we've been looking for our whole lives. But of course, things unfold and they get to know each other better. And they realize that true love is never a sure thing, even if it's perfectly optimized. And the arc of a relationship is never predictable. So this one is called The Arc by Tori Henwood Hohen, and it comes out in February 2022. I'm really hoping it's a smart, funny Mm -hmm. romance Mm -hmm. because those are the only kind that I really can... Right. Enjoy. <laughs> right. This is this is on my radar too. So yeah. I'm hoping the same thing. And we've got the Manhattan setting. I love oh, a woman who's too. super successful and just kind of like sick of the BS and just ready to find her mate. I'm I'm interested. Yes. Oh that okay, good. Let's hope that pans out. All right. My my shelf edition is A Flicker in the Dark by Stacy Willingham. It comes out January eleventh, twenty twenty two. She is a debut author. This is billed as a lyrical thriller. When Chloe Davis was 12, six teenage girls went missing in her small Louisiana town. By the end of summer, Chloe's father had been arrested as a serial killer and prompt. <laughs> it must be my, uh, it's my, yeah. it's my word for today. Two words for today. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it is what it is today. Okay. Her father had been arrested as a serial killer and promptly put in prison. Chloe and the rest of her family were left to grapple with the truth and try to move forward while dealing with the aftermath. 20 years later, Chloe is a psychologist in private practice in Baton Rouge and getting ready for her wedding. She finally has a fragile grasp on the happiness she's worked so hard to get. Sometimes, though, she feels as out of control of her own life as the troubled teens who are her patients. And then a local teenage girl goes missing. And then another, and that terrifying summer comes crashing back. Is she paranoid, seeing parallels that aren't really there? Or for the second time in her life, is she about to unmask a killer? So as I said, this is a debut novel. It's been optioned already for a limited series by actress Emma Stone 
and sold to dozens of countries already. It's being compared to or said that it will appeal to fans of Gillian Flynn and Karen Mm. Slaughter. So that's high praise. Fine. I'll read it. Okay. A Flicker in the Dark by Stacey Willingham. Nice. Okay. All right. This one was new for me. Oh, okay. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our podcast out to new listeners and grows our audience. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. And don't forget, if you would like exclusive access to our bonus content, like our mini episodes about the books we did not finish, our upcoming books we disagree on, our weekly newsletter, and our Book Talkers very fun and interactive Facebook group, please consider supporting us on Patreon for $5 a month. Links with more information can be found in the show notes. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember... Everything's better with books. Like today, I finished my script last night and I was like, who is she? (laughs) She is beauty. She is grace. (laughs) I am so professional. (laughs) Oh, my God.